There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. It's the rate that's a great concern. And what do you put that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say the will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to Climactic, a podcast on the Climactic Collective, a group of independent podcasters from across the range of the climate communities of Australia and New Zealand. Every week on Climactic, rain or shine, we either produce or feature an episode of a climate-engaged podcast. This could be from one of the shows on the Climactic Collective or beyond, and you'll always find a link to the show we're featuring at the top of the show notes. My name is Mark, and I'm the publisher of the Climactic Collective and of this show. And if you ever have any questions, I'm always reachable at hello at climactic.fm. This introduction was recorded on the lands of the Boon people of the Kulin Nation. I wish to acknowledge this is stolen land, and sovereignty was never ceded. This week on Climactic, we bring you an episode from our friends in Geelong, The Sustainable Hour. There's been so much going on in Australia and the world, in the climate crisis community, and in climate activism, that in order to round it all up, we are throwing to the Sustainable Hour crew, who do a great job in this episode, as always, with keeping their finger on the pulse of the goings-on in the climate community. So, without further ado, over to Mick and Tony and crew for the Sustainable Hour, April 6th. 2022. We are on a fast track to climate disaster. The Sustainable Hour. For a green, clean, sustainable July. The Sustainable Hour. Welcome to the Sustainable Hour. We'd like to acknowledge that we're broadcasting from the land of the Wadawurrung people. We pay tribute to the elders past, present, and those that will earn that honour in the future. We acknowledge that the land that we're broadcasting from was never ceded. It was stolen by the first white colonisers. We will never have justice, climate justice, until we have justice for our First Nations people. And finally, we know that we have so much to learn from the longest continual culture on the planet and the way they nurtured their land and their communities for millennia before their land was stolen. My fellow Australians, we will act on climate change and seize the chance to transform our country into a renewable energy superpower. In just a couple of months now, Australia could have a Prime Minister who speaks of, as we hear, a renewable energy superpower. Instead, as we've been hearing again and again in the last two years, about a gas-led recovery. But hey, can we trust this politician who's saying this? This was, of course, Albanese speaking in his budget reply speech last week. But can we trust Labour honestly when we talk about climate? Because this is the same Labour that happily approved this budget that is giving $37 billion out 
to new coal, oil and gas projects. 37,600 millions. What's that about? And how can you with any integrity stand there and say you're going to take the climate emergency seriously when you're handing out 37 billions to coal, oil and gas? Why would anybody do that in their right mind if they understand how dire, how serious it is with the climate emergency? 31 mayors and councillors have just come out with this new letter where they're saying the federal government must step up to protect communities from what they call catastrophic climate shocks. And this week we have Antonio Guterres, our United Nations chief, who's saying it like this. This report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is a litany of broken climate promises. It is a file of shame, cataloging the empty pledges that put us firmly on track towards an unlivable world. We are on a fast track to climate disaster. Major cities underwater, unprecedented heat waves, terrifying storms, widespread water shortages, the extinction of a million species of plants and animals. And this is not fiction or exaggeration. It is what science tells us will result from our current energy policies. We are on a pathway to global warming of more than doubled 1.5 degree limit agreed in Paris. Some government and business leaders are saying one thing, but doing another. Simply put, they are lying. And the results will be catastrophic. This is a climate emergency. Climate scientists warn that we are already perilously close to tipping points that could lead to cascading and irreversible climate impacts. But high-emitting governments and corporations are not just turning a blind eye. They are adding fuel to the flames. They are choking our planet based on their vested interests and historic investments in fossil fuels when cheaper, renewable solutions provide green jobs, energy security and greater price stability. Climate activists are sometimes depicted as dangerous radicals. But the truly dangerous radicals are the countries that are increasing the production of fossil fuels. Investing in new fossil fuel infrastructure is moral and economic madness. Nobody wants to talk about the elephant in the room, especially not in an election, which is that we may have to look at ourselves and the way we live. Our lifestyle may have to change, folks. We cannot continue talking about that growth is the way to solve everybody's problem. Labour has a real plan for economic growth and prosperity. A plan to get incomes rising and costs under control, driving growth and sharing its benefits. Growth, once again. Anyway, this federal budget, we'll be talking more about it later today. $700 million less for climate action in the new federal budget from the Liberal Nationals government. And this is the government that increased the subsidies to fossil fuels last year with another 12%. That was a $1.3 billion increase last year, driven up by the so-called gas-fired recovery. So anyway, this is where we're at right now, but where we are at in the world. Colin Market, that's what we're counting on you to have the overview of. What does the global outlook look like this week? Yes, thank you, Mick. And our global outlook begins this week at the United Nations, where Secretary General Antonio Guatis launched what he called an expert group 
to develop stronger and clearer standards for net zero emissions pledges by non-state entities. Now, that's a sort of a long and um, uh, convoluted way of saying that it's non-nations. It's leaders of big business, banks, investment groups, cities and regions. Uh, and what he's essentially doing is pulling all together these non-nations and task them with speeding up the world commitment to net zero emissions. And the move comes amid a worsening climate crisis and growing urgency among the UN for the national commitments that were given at COP26 to become transparent, credible, backed by robust implementation plans and converted into real emissions cuts as rapidly as possible. Uh, and now it's not to say that the UN has given up on nations meeting their pledges uh, that they made at COP26, because a day after Antonio announced his new expert group, the IPPR Progressive Review Journal was published. Now, that is the, um, the magazine, if you like, that's an online magazine that's sent to all of the delegates who uh, turned up at the COP meetings uh, right the way through. And in it, the president of COP26, that's Alak Sharma, called on all countries to honour their commitments and take rapid action to tackle the climate crisis and achieve net zero. Uh, he opened by saying it's several months since Glasgow and we must build on and protect the integrity of the climate pact by showing that collectively the world is serious about delivering on its commitments that it made. The key thing now, he said, is implementation. Our COP26 achievements will come to nothing if we do not deliver on them. So basically what the UN is doing at the moment is screwing down on the commitments that were made and bringing in extras from outside. Now, in this regards of screwing down, the United Kingdom government announced it was spending £198.3 million to provide 943 zero emission buses nationwide. And that builds on 121 million that they spent last year on 300 buses. And there were a further 100 buses from previous schemes. It means the United Kingdom government remains on track to deliver its COP26 commitment. The, uh, the United Kingdom's transport secretary, Grant Sharp, said, not only will this improve the experience of passengers, but it will help support our mission to fund 4,000 cleaner buses, that's all of them, and we will reach net zero emissions by 2050 and build back greener. And further to the United Nations move towards business as well as nations getting motivated, the global chemical company, INEOS, INEOS, announced that it was investing more than 2 billion euros in green hydrogen production throughout Europe. Now, this is Europe's largest ever investment uh, in the projects. It's got to be green hydrogen uh, with the potential to transform the zero carbon hydrogen production throughout Europe. 
and it's highly supported by every nation in the EU in the light of the EU's decisions to move away from the dependency on oil and gas from Russia. And that's in the wake of the Ukraine conflict. It should fast track the production of hydrogen during Europe's coming summer. They don't want to be dependent on Russian fuel for the winter that follows this summer. It's likely that some good might even come out of the Ukraine invasion. Good for the planet, that is. Then new global research was announced at the weekend showing a 71% rise in popularity in online searches for sustainable goods over the past five years. This carried on and grew during the COVID-19 pandemic. The report's titled An Eco-Awakening. It was uh, funded and carried out by WWF, the World Wildlife Fund, and their spokesperson said sustainable and planet-friendly products used to be a niche market. Today, that's no longer the case. This research backs up what we've seen anecdotally over the years. The demand is there. The report analysed data from 27 languages across 54 countries and covered 80% of the world's population. We're moving towards sustainability on a commercial sense. And my final little bit for the day, of course, it's got to be about Forest Green Rovers, the world's only vegan carbon neutral football club. At the weekend, they played the bottom of the table, Scunthorpe, and they are top of the table. You would expect it to be a massive win. It wasn't. It was a 1-0 win to Forest Green Rovers, but it's enough to leave them four points clear at the top of the table with a game in hand, and there are only eight games left in this season. They're still looking likely to move up to Division uh, Division 1 next year. And that's my roundup for the week, Mick. Listen to our sustainable hour for the future. No more gas, no more oil. Keep that carbon in the soil. Say it loud, say it clear. Fossil fuels are what are you going to do? What when the world gets hot? What what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What when the world gets hot? Our first guest today is Robert Patterson. We've had Robert on before. He started the ADAC group, a different approach to climate, and he's Robert's been active in the the organisation Geelong Renewables, not gas. Robert, we thought we'd get you on to have a chat about the all things uh, floating gas hub, and uh, yeah, the, your comments about the the rally on Saturday and the uh, submissions that we uh, need to go in against the uh, well, commenting on Viva's uh, very weighty tome, I think a thousand pages or thereabouts for their environmental effects statement. So. First of all, thanks for coming in, Robert. Oh, thanks very much, Tony, for the opportunity. I went to the rally, a great rally, good speakers. Um, but yes, we've got a problem with this floating uh, hub in so far that you know, the gas is highly inflammable. 
and, and many um, locals are concerned about the safety. We're also concerned with the, the terminal that's going to be installed with the marine life and fishing and recreation. A lot of people use the bay for all sorts of things that will say that um, for the tourist industry, it's going to be right next door to where the uh, ferries are going to come in. Um, the other things that we're very concerned about is that we're at a crossroads uh, with the climate. And that is another reason that this uh, development should not go ahead because it's going to create more CO2 levels. And that is a problem for not just Geelong, but the, the much wider community. Um, also, that um, the, 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 the gas, it's a dangerous and it's a polluting fuel uh, and we should be on to electricity. The gas, as we burn it in our homes, uh, causing uh, asthma and many, many other issues in our community. So that's what I sort of feel, Tony, about why the hub shouldn't go ahead. Mm, so lots of different reasons, not, not one specifically. No, there's many reasons and not just uh, the, you know, the wider community outside Geelong too. It's a real concern to people that this hub is going to be built. And we've been told that um, by UNESCO, who are here at the moment in Australia, assessing the Great Barrier Reef. And it seems that after they do that, they will call the reef in danger. Mm. So that's another reason this hub and more gas shouldn't be developed. Now, Robert, you um, went in your introduction there, you called it by what Viva is calling it, a floating gas hub. In truth, it's a moored, redundant, gas-carrying tanker. It's a it's a, a Japanese ship that will be leased and uh, and just permanently moored at North Korea Terminal. The uh, what used to be the Shell Terminal is now Viva's Terminal. It's not a purpose-built floating gas hub, which is what you think when you hear the word, it's, it's a floating gas hub. It's a tanker. That's number one part that we should all refer to it as that rather than their terms, which is a floating gas hub. The other thing is that we should always remember that gas is a very 19th century technology. It was in the Victorian times that gas was piped into people's homes and it was then seen as, as being incredibly innovative because it would light your home as well as heat it and you could cook with it. But that was the 19th century. We're talking about the 1800s. And to say that at the beginning of the 21st century, with all that we've learned during the course of the 20th century, we are still saying that we are going to use this in the 21st century is absolutely ridiculous. And that, that's the message we should be getting out rather than, oh, look, I'm, there's nothing wrong with no more gas and leave it in the soil, but it's not in the soil, is it? It used to be what we call the nice, friendly, liquid natural gas, LNG, is what used to be the burn-off from petroleum. It's petroleum gas. It's, it's created by the petroleum companies. It's now captured and frozen, which makes it liquid, and then sold around the world at a huge profit to our mining companies, essentially. 
it's completely wrong. It should be uh, it should be a, a shoo-in that we don't have it. And the fact that we're having rallies against it really annoys me because all kinds of any kind of logic shows that we don't need a, a dangerous industry that's more than 100 years old. So, Robert, can you explain to us what is the business model in this? As we hear, you know, it seems absurd. How can they, in their right minds, think they can make money? Yes, maybe they can make money today if they had a gas hub. But in 10 years' time, in a city that's saying it's going to get carbon neutral by 2035, uh, how are they going to bring back the investment of, as I heard, more than $200 million dollars? that it's going to cost to, to set all this up. Yeah, thanks, Mick. Uh, look, I'm not an expert in this field. Uh, however, I can see uh, exactly what you're saying. It's going to become a stranded asset for one thing. For another thing, why not the state government encourage Viva to spend this money on renewables? I mean, Viva are talking about in their submissions that they're going to have a certain amount of renewable energy. They're talking about hydrogen Um, a service station, if you like, for big trucks. So they're very much on board with renewables. So why not put the effort with support from the state government into renewables, not gas? Exactly. I mean, isn't the truth that there's a lot of taxpayer money in this? And this is actually what's driving it, that they are hoping to get our money to fund this that will eventually then become a stranded asset. But they don't care because we had to pay. Yeah, no, that's right, Mick. And there's another element of this too: is that um, uh, that you know, if the if the state government, uh, their initiative, and and internationally were told no new gas developments, surely then Viva um, are going to be on the wrong side of history. When Shell first built the facility that Viva now owns. They built it in the 1960s, and at the time it was seen as being quite dangerous to nearby businesses and nearby residents. So it had um, a bund that was built 100 meters from the factory, and a bund is essentially um, a dike, if you like, because Shell is a Dutch company. It's a wood, it's an earthenware, um, long, narrow hill. That, that protected all the way around so that if there was an explosion, it would direct the explosion upwards and that would not impact on the local businesses and local residents. Now, when Viva is now saying that we are uh, supporting environmental energy, what they're really saying is that we have put solar panels in the area between our factory and that bund, with the idea that our factory will, will not be using as much electricity from the grid, we'll be creating some of it ourselves. So that's the extent of their support of renewable energy. They put solar panels in the gap between the bund. But for me, all that really did was highlight the fact that They recognized when they built the facility that it could blow up and it could cause problems for nearby residents. At that time, nobody was talking about putting a floating gas terminal without a bund around it 
that would be floating on the harbour side because the bund, of course, only went round on the, on the land side. And if the ship was to go up, it contains much, much, much more explosive potential than the, um, um, the silos that, had, that contained fuel in the original shell operations. And if the, what they term floating gas hub were to explode, it would have repercussions right the way through the CBD because there's no bund in between. Deaver Energy, which operates the Geelong refinery, is proposing to build a floating natural gas terminal next to the refinery to import gas. This would see the arrival in Corio Bay of tankers carrying huge amounts of liquefied natural gas each year. These tankers and the associated infrastructure pose a significant risk to nearby residents and infrastructure. In research commissioned by the US Department of Energy, Sandia National Laboratories concluded that a significant leak as a result of an LNG tanker collision or a terrorist attack could pose a serious risk to people and property within a three and a half kilometre radius. Over 30,000 Geelong residents live within three and a half kilometres of the proposed terminal and the Cariah Bay shipping channel. Some residents live within 250 metres of the shipping channel. The proposed terminal and tankers represent a vastly increased risk to people and property in this area when LNG is compared with traditional oil refining. Australia lacks nationally consistent regulations regarding LNG infrastructure, but currently there are no LNG facilities in Australia within three and a half kilometres of residences. The LNG industry's accident record in many countries is far from spotless. Viva's LNG terminal will be located adjacent to the existing major hazard facilities, including the oil refinery and chemicals import terminal. This potentially makes the proposed LNG facility a much more attractive target for terrorists, thereby increasing the risk to nearby residents of harm from an incident. Beaver's proposed floating gas terminal is too big a risk to residents, businesses and to the future of Geelong. Renewables, not gas, for Geelong. We have here in Geelong, I think, a rising star in the climate action field, a real climate champion who's just 17 years old. We discovered her last week, as you heard this, this clip with a very short speech that she gave at the climate strike in front of the city hall. Her name is Lauren Dillon. And uh, at this gas rally on Saturday, she spoke again. I'm scared, I'm angry, and I'm devastated. Because even if I have all this passion, all this emotion, I can't generate real change like you can. Get it through your thick skulls that climate change is real, it's happening now, and every minute you ignore the ticking biological clock is one more added to my doom. Hello, is anyone at the wheel? We're speeding up to an unfinished bridge. Foot pressed on the accelerator. 
climate change is the biggest issue of our time and we're acting like it's business as usual. Not only do we need to be bold climate plans, but we need societal change as well, which is why these rallies are so important. Please care, please act, please listen. And I also want to address you guys um, for this next bit. So sometimes it can be really hard being a young person who cares about the environment. I first developed my passion in year nine and it's been a roller coaster of emotions since then. It's so hard to remain positive when you're constantly reminded about new natural disasters, increasing temperatures and the sheer number of species that are dying. Not to mention the realisation that this will become the new norm as you grow up. I've lost what are meant to be the best years of my life to climate anxiety and stress. And sometimes it was so tough that I would just shut everybody out. I couldn't hear any more news that would further my pain and sometimes I still do this. The hardest thing is knowing that the world has known about this climate crisis for 30 plus years and still hasn't taken immediate action. Instead, our government continues to actively encourage the development of the fossil fuel industry through developments like the one we're protesting against. Um, and the hardest thing as a young person is the isolation that we feel from others and the lack of optimism when the truth is here. Um, when I come to these rallies and strikes, I'm filled with this new sense of belonging. Like I'm finally home, surrounded by people who actually care about the environment like I do. So thank you for reminding me that there's still light out there in what seems to be this never-ending darkness. Thank you for being here. I think a lot of people, we were about 300 people there at the waterfront in Geelong on Saturday, and I think a lot of them were touched hearing a 17-year-old student talk about the reality of what, what it feels like to be young today when you understand what's going on. It's not easy, and it's heartening to hear how a rally then can you know, encourage you because we are a growing number of people who understand that we need to take action and we need to change. And, and now that we have an election, hopefully we'll see lots and lots more people helping changing this narrative. You know, we cannot have a gas-fired recovery and we cannot invest in more coal-fired power stations as the current government has promised it will if it's elected. We cannot have more fossil fuel projects. It's as simple as that. And Lauren Dillon is uh, taking the next step in becoming a climate activist because she has now created a small video, two minutes, that's going to circulate in the next weeks on, on Facebook. Let's just listen to what she's talking about because she nails it, I think, when it comes to the climate aspect of what Viva Energy is, uh, is doing with this gas hub. In Australia, we don't build nuclear bombs. We build climate bombs. Woodside, a fossil fuel company, is about to build the biggest one we've ever seen, the Scarborough gas field. Over the next 25 years, it will release 1 billion tonnes of greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere that overheat our climate. And guess who's supporting this climate bomb by signing up to buy gas? Viva Energy in Geelong. Viva plans to build this massive gas import terminal on Carayo Bay. Last year, it was revealed that the gas would come from the Scarborough Project in Western Australia, which is the biggest threat to the Australian climate that is currently being proposed. In addition, it also threatens ancient Aboriginal rock art on the Burrup Peninsula. Energy and climate experts say that there should be no new fossil fuel developments if we were to avoid further climate damage. 
so the gas terminal and the Burrup hub plants fly in the face of acting on this climate emergency. But there's a better alternative for Geelong. We must invest in renewables, not a dirty gas polluting terminal. The government should help support businesses and households convert from dirty gas to cheaper and cleaner renewable energy for heating and cooking. Join us in saying that we reject this gas terminal. We reject dirty gas from the Scarborough project. You can share this video and you can sign the petition at www.geelongrenewablesnotgas.org. Thank you so much for listening. No more gas, no more oil. Keep that carbon in the soil. Say it loud, say it clear. Fossil fuels are welcome here. She's getting stronger and stronger. Yeah, she talks sense too, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you can't argue against it. I was no. talking about the science. It must be so, like you can feel the frustration, the emotion in her voice. The science is, is saying no more fossil fuels, leave it in the ground. And then we have politicians saying we need a gas-led recovery. So, yeah, yeah well, this is, this is a... a, a a teenager we're supposed <laughs> to be giving them you know our responsibility is to is to give them hope and she's saying well you know that doesn't give me any hope well yeah, she touched on something there when in just in that little bit there where she said that governments should be funding for households to get off of gas mm. now one of the things that's very noticeable over the last 10 years perhaps is that governments have been paying for f stupid things like car parks. Car parks is a very big issue with the federal government. That means they're paying tradies to lay out tarmac yep. uh, and other people, they're paying them to stand and hold up stop-go signs so that, um, you know, it, it's a highly labour-intensive game. It's employing people. It's just creating jobs for for nothing a cup because what's what's the benefit of a car park it's nothing really um and yet if they were to spend that same amount of money on saying to or every household we will pay towards you getting rid of your gas and replacing it with something that is renewable that would be spending the same amount of money and yet come up with a really positive action. Yeah, and also without the collateral damage which comes from the fossil fuels, using yep. fossil fuels. So, yeah, it's a just, you know, I, I can see historians, well, people studying history in maybe 10, 20 years saying, what was the problem? Why did they take so long to get onto this? Yeah. yeah. Robert? Yeah, I'd just like to contribute a little bit there that the yeah. federal government, as you that Colin says, is spending money on car parks. Um, now, you want employment and a lot of employment. What about spending $20 million that are required to upgrade the substations, three substations, I understand, in Geelong, which will allow a lot more solar panels to be installed? There is a restriction in certain areas in Geelong that we cannot have any more solar panels because the infrastructure... The, uh, the the substations cannot accept it all. Yeah, that's that would be more useful for everyone.
we are the sustainable hour and uh, we should be looking a little bit closer into what the budget that was announced last week actually holds for climate and for renewable energy and so on. And uh, Rusty, you have been uh, taking a look at that, haven't you? Yeah, I have, Mick. So um, I, I'm just having a look at one little aspect of it. The federal budget was brought down in uh, last week, which is March 2022, so that it doesn't interfere with the election or get let them get on with the election. But the bit I've chosen is to highlight the current government's attitude, giving us a heroin shot via short-term cash splash is not the answer to build climate resistance. My degree is not in economics, but I have experienced many federal budgets. Also, by way of further disclosure, the four presenters of this in the tunnel today are very low users of fuel. I understand that for a lot of families, fuel is a significant cost, especially the ones that find it necessary to seek housing in the outer suburbs. The regional areas, where I am, also can be vehicle dependent. Yes, they will benefit from the six-month reduction in fuel excise. This budget comes late to the party in regards to cost of living relief. But I will leave that commentary to others. I would suggest that this is a short-term solution that has significant ramifications into the future, especially for the dollars available for infrastructure building, except for maybe if your name's Barnaby. Let's just focus on one service reduction. Likely casualties that will flow from this change is spending on roads and associated shared parts. The local government business model is not financially sustainable without dollar injections from the federal and state governments. You have seen the signs on various roads that this is a black spot program. This means that there have been severe issues on that stretch of road and that the federal government has provided money to the local government to fix it. This helps with the delivery program and the budget of local government. Without this funding to state and local governments, you will be impacted in the services you receive in your area. The share powers are viewed as discretionary spending. As they cut back these and again ignore the overall situation, especially the health benefits and the health budget savings of active transport, I was chatting to a council officer the other day with regards to shared pass and the community expectation. He said it was a high expectation amongst their community and they have limited programs underway, but are severely limited in the future funding of their planned shared pass. I would suggest that providing funding so that people can reduce their home energy cost is a far more effective long-term saving. Furthermore, accelerating the building of renewable energy for future energy requirements and energy security would be a better investment and use of funds. The recent climatic events in New South Wales and Queensland will also require, rightfully, large funding and absorb private and public money. I am amazed that our political leaders, in inverted commas, 
are still failing to see the relationship between their lack of urgent action to bring forward the path to zero emissions and these frequent severe weather events. And I have a question on notice to the Oz Prime Minister. The President of the United States of America has released oil from the Strategic Reserve. Why did we not do the same? Thus saving loan borrowings to fund this cash blush, these extras, inverted commas, have no effect on the current budget as these are increases in debt. Uh, I've got a fraction more about news, but we'll leave it at that on the budget. That, Rusty, I think that, that gets me so annoyed that uh, uh, the government now, just before an election, is handing out billions of dollars to the, the public. But it's not actually, the you could say, the government's money. It's money it's it's loaned. So it's money that's got to be paid back years from now by the young people. Isn't it almost like cheating? You're handing out somebody else's money just to win an election. Um one of the things that wasn't highlighted, and I won't go into the technicalities, but it also affects the GST collections, which is ultimately a state government. It ends up in state government coffers. So there's a bit of a double effect there. It's um, in many respects, when you follow the money trail, Rusty, you, uh, you find that it ends up in the pockets of the big mining and... Uh, uh, oil barons too. I mean, the the sort of centerpiece of the budget was that the treasurer said he's going to reduce the cost of fuel because the cost of petrol going up has um, uh, hit people in their hip pockets. In truth, the cost of petrol going up is a good thing because it's going to make people think twice about taking an unnecessary trip in their cars. And it might make them think twice about getting a bicycle or getting an electric car or a hybrid car. Uh, so reducing the cost of fuel is actually just another way of putting money into the fuel people's business. It's giving more money to Viva. When you look at it as a business, it, it's a winner on all fronts. This is fossil fuels I'm referring to. They pay very little tax on their billions of dollars in earnings. They get subsidised by the government so that, and they get away scot-free from all this damage. They don't clean up after themselves, generally. They don't clean up the atmosphere. They do very little to do that. Exxon says that they you know, recently said at a, a public meeting that they uh, are working very hard to get drawdown facilities associated with each of their sites. And when they're asked, though, where, tell us where there's one that's actually working, they, they weren't able to say. So they even escape and they don't set targets. So it's, it's like they're just riding roughshod over the lot of us. And I think people have just had enough. What you're saying there about... Uh... The fuel taxes and so on, and and the fact that the big fossil fuel producers don't pay that tax. I think we need to understand in detail what that means. And Rod Campbell from the Australia Institute managed to explain that, I think, pretty well in just one minute. 
The big 400-pound gorilla in the fight of fossil fuel subsidies in Australia is the federal government's fuel tax rebate. So that's where you and I pay tax on the fuel that we put into our cars, but the mining industry, the coal industry, the gas industry and other industries like agriculture tend not to pay fuel tax either at all or certainly not as much. And by not collecting that tax, that costs the federal government $8.5 billion in the last uh, financial year. And to put that in context, that's more than we spend on the Army or the Air Force. And it's not too far shy of the federal government spending on public schools. So it's a big expense. Do we want to subsidise the mining industry, which is almost entirely foreign-owned and to a large degree in Australia pushes fossil fuels, which makes climate change worse? Or do we want to be spending money, more money on disaster recovery or health or education? So it's not that all subsidies are bad and that even some subsidies to the mining industry might be useful, particularly around making sure new mineral developments are clean and in the national interest. So it's not that subsidies are bad. It's about what are we subsidising? And abundantly in Australia, we are subsidising the production and consumption of fossil fuels. It goes beyond that too, doesn't it? Because uh, the way that it works is that you subsidise, if you are the government, you subsidise the fossil fuel industry and you get back in political donations to your party, not to the government, but to your party, which means that you win the next election, which means that the whole money cycle goes round again and again and again. You give them the subsidies, they give you cash, the party get, gets the money so that uh, you get you keep your hands on the levers of power. Yeah, and the money exactly. that they give back to the government is much, much, much less than, than yep. what they gain in, in uh, subsidies, etc. Yep. So crazy, crazy, crazy times. Well, first of all, thank you, Rusty, for those perspectives there. I think maybe the strongest statement that I heard last week on the budget came from Adam Bant, who's the leader of the Greens. His comment to the federal budget was, the plans are going to destroy our future by funding more coal and gas and making the climate crisis worse. This budget, he said, is a calculated, expensive climate crime. A climate crime. Yep. Can't go any further than I that. No disagreement here. I mean, I don't think people realise how much money this budget is giving to coal, oil and gas. When you just say $37.6 billion, you don't think about how much money that actually is. You know, it's thirty-seven six hundred thousand millions. There's a lot of zeros in that number. And there's a lot of renewables that could have been built there's a lot of renewable energy production that could have been established and built and developed for 37 billions. Yep. A climate crime. Yeah. Look, and, uh, if I can go back again to the World Roundup, uh, the UK government spent uh, £198 million, which would be um, around about 400 million dollars that's not even half a billion and what they're doing is they're replacing all of the buses in the united kingdom with low emission or non-emission buses we're just giving 
approximately five times the amount to oil uh, to oil companies to keep us dependent on petrol and oil. Yeah, and as Adam Bent says, to to keep us complicit in a climate crime. Colin, your reference to buses, I was waiting in, in Geelong after the, the rally on Saturday and a bus went past and it had 90% fewer emissions. It was a hybrid bus. So I must chase, see if we can get them on a little bit more information about that. But that really stood out. It was all emblazoned all over the bus that, that this is what they were doing. So, uh, And also last night there was a, a, a an online workshop to encourage people to put submissions in against the or comments about the Viva environmental effects statement. There are about 35 people uh, who took part in that and it was it made the whole process, it demystified the whole process, made it a lot easier for everyone. Uh, there was information given. The same thing will happen tomorrow. Uh, I'm not we'll put information in the in the text podcast text about uh, how you can get involved in that. But it's really important that we get as many objections to that, to this toxic project, as we can. It's, as, as we know that it's all about numbers. And the good thing about this is that you end up with your own personal comments rather than it being a form letter that you just put your name with. So it'll, it means a lot more. So encourage as many people as possible, if, if you hear this, let... Uh, well, when you hear this, let people know about it being on tomorrow so we can have some input there as well, your mm. own personal input. Yes, Robert. and uh, Robert, um, what would be your last comment uh, for people? What can we do? We heard we can sign a petition, and now we know that we can put in the submission before the end of this week. Is there anything else we can do? Uh, the Geelong Renewable not gas submissions to stop Viva are very, very important. Personally, I think these submissions are a great opportunity for Geelong and the larger community to show that 70% of the Australian population are saying we want real climate action in Canberra. But we're also saying we don't want fossil fuel developments. This is a chance for us with our submissions to get a message across Geelong and to the state government in Victoria and federally that we do not want fossil fuel developments and we do not want a Viva gas hub in Karai Bay. But thank you very much for the opportunity to come onto the sustainable hour. You guys do a great job and we've got a real problem with climate and we must keep pressing on and seeing what we can do. I might just finish uh, not wanting to be political, but... I went to a rally or to a Corendomite Climate Alliance meeting at the Deakin University last week, and we met three the three candidates that are going to stand in, in Corendomite and, and the Geelong, greater Geelong area. It was a really great meeting. And I estimated, though, through the meeting that 85% of the, of, the, of the audience were in favour of climate action. And we were spoken to by the three candidates. And um, I might just say that there is a big problem um, with our candidates and with our system and what they take back from Geelong to Canberra. 
And this is what Zali Stegel spoke about on a previous sustainable hour. And it would be an opportunity to speak about this issue on another occasion, but it is a big problem that do our candidates take back to Canberra what we are asking them to do? Because the meeting the other night, you would think, listening to the three candidates, that the problem will be fixed. They all agree that there's a problem and this and that. But when they get back to Canberra, we run into the two-party system. And as Ali Stegel states, that they sit on their hands and tied into the two-party system. Which, Robert, uh, we try to explain here in the Sustainable Hour, which means, for instance, that when there's a vote on a new fossil fuel project, the members of the two big parties are given a piece of paper that tells them what to vote. They cannot just vote according to what the community back home has told them or uh, what their conscience tells them that they ought to be voting. No, they need to vote according to the party line. So they're told to vote for that fossil fuel project, even though they told us that they weren't going to do that. So it's really, it's not just hypocrisy. It's They're actually lying to us. Yes, that is right, Mick. And that's why even our, partition, uh, our petition system that we've got going needs massive reform to overcome this problem. Because as you've just said, we hear from our local politicians, they tell us what we want to hear. But when they get to Canberra, they don't act the way we want them to act. Yeah, look, it's, it, I don't know if it's a lie. Um, if it is a lie, it's one that's always prefaced by the politicians saying, this is my personal opinion. Whenever you hear a politician say, this is my personal opinion, you know that they're not going to vote that way in Parliament because they're aware of their mm. party's line. Yeah, no, that's very true, Colin, and I think that was demonstrated fairly clearly at the Kerangamai Climate Alliance meeting the other night, that they were saying that, that this was their personal view, mm. uh, but uh, unfortunately there wasn't time to challenge that with questions. Um, but again, this is a thing that we're not... We need a forum, I think, too, with the Geelong Council should be running a forum because they're all... I went to a Geelong Council meeting the other night and they're all sitting there saying, oh, yeah, it's not our problem. It's a state issue. But they are our representatives. They are the people that we pay our rates to. They are the ones that are guarding our health, our roads, our bicycle tracks, and even our trees and dog parks, dogs in parks. So why aren't they taking on board this climate problem that is going to wreck our world and we've, we, everybody knows the problem. Actually, so there, these are submissions. goes beyond that, Robert. Um, we have got so many forums that are supposed to be speaking for us. We've got our Geelong Chamber of Commerce. We've got our um, G21. We've got our council. Uh, we've got all of these people. There, there are probably, if, if you let me think about it, I can probably come up with around about seven groups that are supposed to be representing Geelong uh, as a lobby group in different parliaments. We should be in their ears all the time saying, look, we don't want fossil fuels. We don't want gas. We want forward thinking representation. What a great opportunity for Geelong people that are concerned about the climate to send a submission to the state government and it's not a big thing to do. Tony's gone through it. It's easy, it's easy enough to do. 
there's a forum on this Thursday. Let's all send a, a submission to the state government and as a demonstration that we want real climate action. Rusty, over to you. Thanks, guys. Now, this is like breaking news. We last week paid, played a, a sound grab from uh, the upper house uh, member, Kate Foreman. Now, you'd think on the, um, that if the New South Wales State Parliament was going to have an emergency recall on the first of Friday, the 1st of April 2022, to pass a most important bill, that it might be something that Kate had raised. But we ought know that that got shot in the, down in flames on that very day. Now, what they had an emergency recall of Parliament for was to pass what I'm going to call the anti-protesters bill and have imposed heavy fines and jail terms. Now, the, obviously, the civil, civil libertarian group in New South Wales are very much in, up in arms about this, but I'm afraid it got passed. Now, I think the fines are somewhere like $22,000. And this is aimed at the people who were blocking the ports and the roads. But on that same day, outside of, of well, trying to get towards a parliament house in Macquarie Street, Sydney, were the nurses. Now, are they going to get caught up in this? How far is this going to go? And fr frankly, because when I heard the Civil Libertarians uh, group, um, it hadn't gone through. And of course, this was just, you know, dreamt up on the back of an envelope overnight. The, um, they weren't able to discuss details, but I think it's worth following up and getting some details about what this really means. And the figure, $22,000, that's one I took notice of. That's how much money every minute this year, Australian taxpayer money is handed over to the fossil fuel industry. That is $22,000 in Australian fossil fuel subsidies, adding up to 11.6 billion this financial year. There's only one word for that and Renew Economy said it, it's perverse. Yep. There's even more reason <laughs> for us to go back now, now that, now that we've finished, there's even more reason for all of us to go into the community now and be the, Be the difference. Be the difference. Be the difference. Be the difference. I know the world's gone mad. It's truth. Be the difference. Many people say that Sweden is just a small country and it doesn't matter what we do. But I've learned that you are never too small to make a difference. And if a few children can get headlines all over the world just by not going to school, then imagine what we could all do together if we really wanted to. Be the difference, be the difference. Stalin, the future's watching us. Have you ever wondered what's inside a coalition politician? Hello, I'm from Woodside. It's a fossil fuel company. And they come bearing gifts. Just dropping this nondescript bag of $82,000 here. They're in Liberal Lower House members. Hello, Mineral Council here. 
Make up! They're even in coalition senators. Good day, mate. How's your kangaroo going? Flame and galahs and sheep and the Walker Road Hotel is on the menu. And, and they're deep, the deep, deep inside the National Party. Gosh, it smells of gas in there. And I love it. And they're also inside. No, sh look the other way. No, Albo's not here. The Labour Party. Santos Claus is coming to town. Even the leader of the United Australia Party. Oh, politicians are all corrupt. I'm just leaving this safe filled with $60 million to spend on advertising here for no good reason. Mm, is a fossil fuel baron himself. I think I'm, I think I'm stuck in myself. Craig, give us a push. This election, be on the right side of history. Don't vote for fossil fools. Authorised by D. Illich, it's not a race manly. As the world literally falls apart around us, it's easy to get confused as to what goes in what bin. I reckon when it comes to bin day, we could all do with a reminder. On our street, we use smart voting stickers. Smart voting stickers remind you and your neighbours exactly what belongs in the bin this election. This election, I'm going to be chucking out fossil fools, empty promises, blame shifting, poor leadership, misogyny and... Excuse me, do you know which bin this goes in? Yeah, just not the recycling. Can't afford to have them back again. Get your smart voting bin and bumper stickers at smartvoting.com.au. Authorised by S. Bloom, Smart Voting, Proprietary Limited, Deacon. This is cold. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. We are the land of droughts and flooding rains. We recognise that. It is a very volatile and often capricious climate. At the heart of this conflict is a battle between truth and science and power and lies. The Climactic Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H-E-R-E media dot studio.